Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think you can learn something good and bad from every single day, situation, person you've worked for, head coach, coordinator, player. You can take the good and the bad. And I think every time something happens or every time you're in a difficult place or a good place or, or facing adversity or winning, whatever it may be, I think it's very important to keep track of, hey, these are the things this guy's doing well. These are the things this guy's not doing well. If I ever get the chance to sit in that chair, you know, I want to do it this way. I would do it this way. I would do these things better. I would do these things worse. And, you know, I've worked for three or four different head coaches, been around a bunch of coaches, and you know, my whole life. So, I think anytime you can take something, something good from somebody, take it, and something bad from somebody, take it also. Trey Lamb is a coach you will want to keep an eye on. The second youngest coach in Division One football at the time we recorded this episode, he's made an impact on the first program he's had the opportunity to lead at Gardner Webb, and he's developed a coaching tree with several of his coaches moving up the ranks. Football has been in his blood growing up as the son and grandson of legendary Georgia high school football coaches. His father, Hal, won three state titles, as did his grandfather, Ray. Growing up in a football family and an obsession with learning the game has allowed him to climb the ranks quickly. Today, he discusses taking over a program in the midst of the pandemic shutdown and his 30, 60, 90-day plan to get the program going. He shares the offense he's developed, which he identifies as a blend of App State and Tennessee and some of the things that he does to call the plays and develop his game plan, as well as how he walks the tightrope of being the head coach and handling all the duties of an offensive coordinator. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512 812- 814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. On today's podcast, we're going to learn from somebody who is the second youngest coach in Division I football but he certainly has a lot to offer and a lot of insight into the game. And that's the head football coach at Gardner-Webb, Trey Lamb. Coach, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Coach, 
dig into it first. A lot of guys, they got to think back pretty far, but you're 33, got the head, head job when you were 30. Somewhere in that last decade or so, there was this decision to become a football coach. What drove you to be a coach? Why do you do this? Yeah, I think I saw it my whole life with my dad and my uncle and my granddad. I don't know that I really had a choice. I mean, there was at one point, maybe my freshman year of college, I was redshirting and I kind of fell out of love with the game a little bit where I thought maybe I'd do something else, but it was maybe three months and I was like, I, I can't do anything else. This is, this is what I love. I love influencing people and and I, I really couldn't see myself doing anything else. It's 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 like a an addiction. I, I love coming to work every day. I can't believe I get paid to do this. I know a lot of people say that, but I truly mean that. This is a dream. I love the competitive part of it. I love the X's and O's of it. And I love being able to be around young people and, and hopefully make an influence on young men. In looking at the way you came up in this game, what were some of the lessons or uh, different things that coaches share with you, advice, et cetera, that were really important to you along the way and are part of who you are today? Yeah, I think you learn from every single experience. And I think the good ones, the great ones, are able to file that away in a memory bank or have a drive where they carry everything with them at all times. Just an organization factor to remember things that happen in your career. Or, you know, I started going to football practice when I was probably three years old. So I probably wasn't your average 30-year-old getting hired. I'd been around the game and been obsessed with it. I think you can learn something good and bad from every single day, situation, person you've worked for, head coach, coordinator, player. You can take the good and the bad. And I think every time something happens or every time you're in a difficult place or a good place or, or facing adversity or winning, whatever it may be, I think it's very important to keep track of, hey, these are the things this guy's doing well. These are the things this guy's not doing well. If I ever get the chance to sit in that chair, you know, I want to do it this way. I would do it this way. I would do these things better. I would do these things worse. And, you know, I've worked for three or four different head coaches, been around a bunch of coaches, and you know, my whole life. So, I think anytime you can take something, something good from somebody, take it, and something bad from somebody, take it. Also, I think that's important. We always focus on the good, right? We want to be positive, but I yeah. can tell you, some of my uh, best learning experiences have come when things weren't necessarily going the right way. That's exactly right, Coach. For you, you took this over in a very interesting time. Thirty years old, you become a head coach. And it's COVID. You you have you have to deal with that on top of being brand new to the job. So talk us through the beginning there, and, and really, how did you get your team to where it is? How did you move things along with all those challenges? Yeah, I think you know I hired a young staff first of all. You know, at this level, FCS football is not always glorious when the paycheck comes in at the end of the month or the beginning of the month. It's hard to. You know, you can't pay people a ton of money, and resources are always tight across the board, really, at this level. I tried to make the money work and, and hire people I trusted, hire young people that were looking for their first jobs or, or just hungry and willing to do anything. I think it was huge getting a staff in here. You know, that first 12 months, we didn't coach a game. So we were doing a ton of work on Zoom, a ton of work recruiting and building a roster and we flipped it pretty quickly i think covid helped a lot of people and it hurt a lot of people i think it really helped our program happening when it did and then you see other programs that were trending in the right direction and since covid have absolutely you know been blistered and, and fell apart so i think it happened at the right time for us recruiting was huge being able to price sign some kids we would normally not get not having to waste a bunch of money in recruiting and flying and doing all that we, we were able to get guys you know on virtual visits and 
sell our new plan and sell our vision. And luckily we had some guys believe in it. We were able to flip the roster pretty quickly. When you were talking to those guys, what was the vision you were selling? How did you, especially, you know, Zoom or whatever, you're not in person, you're not chilling campus. How did you communicate that to them? I think the biggest thing, you know, we did was we were very honest. I think a lot of times coaches get new jobs and they go paint the walls. First thing they do is paint the walls and then throw their slogans up on the walls. And then all of a sudden, nobody's bought into anything early on. It takes time. I think the biggest thing we did is we came in here and evaluated where they were, evaluated each position, each position coach, and was just honest with everybody. Like, hey, here, here's what we want to do. I know these goals sound hard to reach right now, but we, we feel like we can turn this place into a perennial playoff contender and, and making runs in the playoffs. And the footprint for our recruiting has been fantastic. But opening that first door, that first team meeting, they're not going to buy into you in, in, in three meetings, in 30 minutes. They're going to say, who the who the heck is this 30-year-old if you're talking to me? I, I've put the work in for three years here. Nothing's happened. We hadn't won a ton of games, blah, blah, blah. I just think being open and honest with, with each kid and each, each coach about the expectation of, hey, here, here's what we want. We're not going to have negative things come out of our mouth. We're not going to say stupid stuff because those things can come true. And we want to absolutely believe in the power of positive thinking and and the power of belief i think was huge early on being able to get those kids to buy in and giving them something to buy into was huge it it was not something that we knew was going to happen overnight so i think giving them something to buy into let them buy in at their own pace and just being upfront and honest we're not telling lies and and trying to manipulate kids it's somebody's son and and we want to get them on campus and be honest with them but they can't buy in you know, we'll go another direction. But I think early on, the honesty piece was huge. How did you address that part? You said, what's this 30-year-old doing up here, right? I mean, most of these guys, probably even in high school, had coaches older than you. So what was your approach really to establish yourself and, and show them who you are and what you're about? I think just being consistent, you know, every day, being the same guy, being easy to be around, but also being able to hold the guys accountable and understand what the expectations are and when the expectations aren't met. You follow through immediately what you say you're going to do rather than put it off. I think you have to address conflict every single day and make hard decisions for the for the culture of the program. But, yeah, I think over time they just understood, man, this guy, he gets it. And every single person on his staff has won a championship at some point, you know, in their college coaching career or playing careers or NFL careers. And I think eventually we just kind of got the point across, hey, guys, you know, it takes what it takes. This is not – a choice we have to do exactly what it takes and this is the vision this is the plan and I promise you if you buy in good things are going to happen and I think just over weeks and over months they were like this guy is he's the real deal he's you know this staff's the real deal they, they're doing what they said they're consistent they're committed to us and I think caring about the kids man like caring about the players outside of a jersey number I don't care if you're in high school middle school NFL college when someone knows you care about their interests, their family, off the field, they're going to run through a brick wall for you on Saturdays and on Tuesdays for that matter. I think you, you start caring about people and, and really not just talking about it, but doing it, putting in the time and effort to get to know the, the player, you get a special result. Probably something in your favor, especially at the time you took over, was your youth and being just closer in age, being relatable, uh, you know, thinking back just a couple of years to that time, how much that was needed, right? I mean, everybody in some way was probably worried, confused, had some anxiety over everything. And, you know, new program, 
new coaches, all those kinds of things added on top of it. So you had that advantage of being relatable. You also mentioned being, you know, the accountability side too, holding that, holding them accountable. I'm wondering, you know, how you blend those two things together and what does that look like for you? The first part, I think, you know, as 30 years old, our guys probably get tired of me saying it. Even now, I'm like, guys, I was in college 10 years ago. I know what's going on. You know, I'm not an idiot. You know, I, I, I was born at night, but not last night, kind of. You know, all our staff was was in college. Our oldest coach is 40 years old. Everybody else is 34 or younger. So everybody was in college not long ago. We know exactly what you're going through without question. So I think that was big. The accountability piece is having a plan. When I walked in, the the administration, the the campus, the the football team probably thought, man, this guy, you know, you got to prove to him that you're not just a a dog chasing a car and have no idea what's going to happen when you catch it. You know, we had a 30-day plan. We had a 60-day plan. We had a 90-day plan. We stuck to it. I think our kids saw that structure and saw, man, this guy, this guy, he knows what he's talking about. And when you tell somebody you're going to do something, when you when you have consequences for actions or accountability, you got to follow through. The strength staff's been huge for that, which you know I, I got lucky there. Walked into an absolute great situation with our strength coach and his assistants and that was an important piece for us with the accountability. But just doing what you say you're going to do and following through and and treating the star player, the best players have to be held to the highest standards, and the standard you allow is the one you promote. So if you're going to allow something, you're screaming from a mountaintop that you're going to allow it. you got to hold those best players to the same standard as the walk-ons. You mentioned the 30, 60, 90-day plan. I truly believe a lot that happens in that those first 90 days set you up either for success or failure as a coach. We probably could do a podcast on each of those, but if you would just give us an overview of what's happening, what the focus is in the 30, the 60, the 90. The first 30 days, I think you're getting to know everybody in the organization and and in the locker room and on campus. And Those first 30 days are very frustrating because you want to change everything. You want to get everything turned over, a new leaf. Hey, we're going to do things different in this category, this category, this category. But the first 30 days, there's a lot of listening, a whole lot of listening. You know, you got first impressions. So every single person you meet, that's the first time you're meeting them. And first impressions go a long way. So that first week, first 30 days is important just to listen. Like You don't want to go in their guns blazing. I think some coaches mess that up. I want to listen to what the needs are. I want to listen to how we can help the academic department, help the budget, help the training department academic people, all the different aspects that touch your players, I think you need to listen first. You know, that 60 days, you're trying to build up some resources because you know you want to get some things done. You want, you do want to put some new graphics up. You want to print new playbooks. You want to be able to get the guys some gear and, and locker room. And that next 60 days is finding resources, I think, to, to get some of that done. Meet with the seniors, get feedback on things. Their experience could have been different. You come up with an off-season conditioning plan with a strength coach, develop a fundraising plan, and then the 90 days is a huge marketing launch, really trying to change the vision and perception reality of your program. So you're setting up recruiting areas. You're getting guys on the road. Um, you're working on offense, defensive installation, getting everybody hired, establishing a relationship with high school coaches, establishing a relationship with the parents, establishing the plan to win, you know, just laying out that plan. Hey, here's the expectations. Here's how we're going to win football games on and off the field. Here's our core pillars, our core values, Recruiting picks up in that 90-day period, but building those resources, building those relationships and listening in that 30, 60, 90-day window is huge. By the time you get to day 90, 
everybody in the organization should know, hey, here, here's how we're operating. Here's the expectation. Here's how we're going to win football games. So it's obvious you spend a lot of time on the culture side of things, and that's important for a lot of guys. That is their job when they become the head coach. But you also are walking the tightrope of being heavily involved in the offense as well. I'm sure a lot of this is growing up in a football family, you know, some of this isn't like you're doing it for the first time because you've lived with it. Yeah. But yet at the same time, you mentioned all the demands. You rattled off all those things just happening in the first 90 days, a lot to take care of. So how are you balancing that with being heavily involved on the offensive side of the ball? Yeah, so I call plays and I coach the quarterbacks and I'm the head coach. So first thing you got to do is make sure you spend time with defensive special teams. That's the staff. That's the players. You can't just neglect those relationships. You honestly have to treat that side of the ball superior. You got to make sure those defensive and special team guys know you care and know, hey, the goal is to win the football games, not to score 55 points and snap it 100 times. It's to win the games. That's everybody in the organization profits and gets better when you win football games. That's, you know, I think that's the number one thing you got to understand is your goal is to win the game, not to score the most points. I think I'm a better play caller as a head coach. I think you can manage the game better. You don't have to answer to anybody on Sunday. If I want to go for it on fourth and one, I'm on 30, and I think it gives us the best chance to win. I don't have to answer to anybody. And play caller in the past for two different head coaches, you do have to answer to them. And I think when you're running the show and you're running your program, uh, you call the game with no fear. And that's something I'm going to have to adjust back to if I ever become an offense coordinator again. But, you know, where I'm at right now, what a great place to cut your teeth. I mean, this is a – a program that, you know, struggled in the past, you know, had limited success, had some good years flash in the pan, but we're trying to build a, a consistent winner here. And by roping that offensive coordinator to, to head coach thing is not easy. So it's, uh, it's taken some work and I'm still learning and growing every day. But the biggest, biggest thing, I think the differences and, and things you have to do is make sure you promote that other side of the ball. When they, th- when we throw an interception in practice, my reaction is going to be pissed off, mad at the offense and the quarterback but then I got to remember, I'm the head coach. I need to go celebrate with that defensive player that made the play. So you really got to type rope that and make sure your staff and players understand that you're in this thing to win the game and not just to promote your side of the ball. From a structural standpoint, how do you maybe delegate or give some responsibility to staff so that, number one, you know, you're not just closing the door and doing offense. You know what's happening there. Mm-hmm. You know what the game plan is on that other side, too. You're doing all your duties as a head coach and still getting everything coordinated on O. So how do you handle that? How do you, how do you balance that? Well, first thing, you got to be able to tell people no. You know, if I'm in an offensive meeting and we're game planning and, and an alumni wants to meet with me, you know, I may have to say, hey, I can't do that right now. I, I am focused on this. And, and you have to prioritize your, your work schedule for the day. And there's literally going to be eight or ten things that come across your desk every single day that you had no idea were going to happen. Today's Monday in February. And I guarantee you there's five things that came to my desk that I had no plan to worry about. So I think prioritizing your daily schedule is huge. Make lists. I'm a big list guy. Things I need to do on offense, things I need to do as the head coach, things I need to do from a personnel standpoint. Who do I need to write a letter to? Who do I need to email? Who do I need to call? What meetings do I have this week? Don't forget to take time for yourself. And that's something I've really struggled with with you feel like you're getting pulled in so many different directions. You've got to spend some time on yourself and on your family. I think that that's something I struggled with my first two years, and I've been a lot better this year with that. Getting your day organized from, from the time you get in, if you're an early morning guy or an 8 o'clock guy, whatever it may be, 
get yourself organized for the day and for the week. And I've had a lot of success with that. Telling people no is huge. You got to be able to say, no, I can't do that today. No, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm going to focus on the things that matter to help us win this game this Saturday or this fall, whenever it may be, because, you know, you got to pick and choose your battles as the head coach and the coordinator. Your, every day is going to be five battles. Pick those battles that matter the most. Get those conflicts resolved as fast as possible. And then also to our staff, the big message, you know, when I open the year with our first staff meeting, there's no task too small for you guys to do. And the big time is where you're at. I fully believe all nine or ten coaches around that table that I go meet with every day are, are going to have a chance to be a head coach one day and make it to the NFL or, or the Power Five, whatever their goals are. But they've got to understand the big time is where you're at, be where your feet are, and we're going to do it my way. As long as I'm the head coach here, I'm going to have a plan, and we're not going to deviate. I'll take your ideas. I don't want a bunch of yes men, but when I'm in that chair, we're going to do it my way, the way I want it done, and those are the expectations for the staff. I delegate well. You know, I've worked for guys who don't. I've worked for guys who delegate everything. That's something I've learned. I delegate several different categories to different coaches, and they understand that, that they're responsible for those. And if issues come up in those categories, you know, they're going to be held responsible. But delegation's huge. I, I, that's another thing I struggled with early. I wanted to try to do everything on my own, and you just can't. There's not enough hours in the day. Digging into your offense a little bit, you told me it was a, a blend of App State and Tennessee. So give us an overview of what that looks like. Yeah, so fortunately I've had – you know, in my short, you know, stint as a head coach and where I was at previously, we've had some really good coaches go on to, to bigger and better things. And I still talk to those guys about every day and, and just bounce ideas off of them. We run wide zone out of multiple formations at tempo. We're a wide zone first team. So I believe if you're going to run that run, it's got to be your number one run. you got to rep the crap out of it. You know, our second run is counter GT and GY. And then I'd say our third run is, is, is inside zone duo, and that's about it. We, we really don't do a ton in the run game. We run every single variation of wide zone you could imagine out of 35 different formations. And the second piece to our offense is all the play action, naked keeper game with the motions off the wide zone. And then I'd say the third variation of our offense is wide split, vertical choice passing game, a lot like you see Tennessee and Ole Miss in. But we kind of created this offense on our own. I wanted to be able to do a little bit of all of these things. I want to be able to go fast all the time. Not a huge fan of the one-word call plays where it tells everybody what to do. You just get so limited calling those plays. A lot of our next plays are determined by where our players end up on the previous play. Uh, where the skilled players finish that previous play determines what formation, what play we jump into next. I'm a big fan of sequencing plays, having four and five play sequences. I think it's crazy. You know, we all coaches, we script those first 10 or 12 plays, but then we don't script anything else in the game. So I love scripting between drives. I love sequencing plays throughout the week, letting our players know, hey, this is a four-play sequence we're going to get to after a completion. Um, so be ready for that. Um, it allows us to go faster and run more offense at tempo. We huddle five to seven times a game. We motion. We shift. We do a lot of stuff that gives people problems. I love throwing the ball deep, but but the big thing I wanted to do was be able to do some things I believe in. I believe in the wide zone play. We've recruited to it up front and at running back. I love the play pass and keeper game off of it. I think it's a real challenge. And then I love the, the wide split or condensed split stuff. I think you're doing defense as a favor when you line up in traditional splits and snap the ball with 15 seconds on the clock. There's one thing we can control on offense. We control when the ball snapped 
and we control anything that happens pre-snap. So we're either going to get lined up fast in wide splits and play ball at tempo, or we're going to condense it down and get into some unique formations and make you think with motions and, and shifts and trades. But I think if you ever just line up in a formation and snap the ball with 15 seconds left with, with no huddle, I think every every defense coordinator wants that. They want to be able to get their personnel and formation checks and formation blitzes in. So I'm a big believer in not allowing the defense to, to have that advantage. That is the one advantage we have on offense. So either go really slow or really fast and either getting really wide splits or condensed splits. And that's really it. That, that's what we do. That's who we are. You know, to make, make you defend every single blade of grass. A lot of coaches say that, but I, I believe when you turn the tape on, you see that in our guys. And I, all five skill players need to be touching that football every single Saturday. You mentioned sequencing there and being an important part of it, whether that's scripting your openers or scripting between series or, as you said, doing some sequencing during the week. And, and I think you, know, you look at good play callers – there is a sequence to what you do. So how do you think about that when you're putting together plays? You mentioned, you know, looking at the formation or the, the, where these guys are ending up, uh, the play before, so you're not running people all over the field. But uh, what's, you, what's your thought process on looking at a sequence? I think you got to be very specific in game planning. You know, I think too many times, you know, we've all been around the coaches, hey, keys to victory, don't turn the ball over win the turnover battle, win the big play battle, you know, all those things, their goals, and typically they, they just become words on the screen. And we like to get a little more specific than that. So, you know, hey, this week, here's what it takes. You know, we're, we're going we're gonna to make the safety cover our slot. You know, we're going to double move that guy three times. We're going to have three RPOs in a sequence that attack that player. Or, hey, we're going to get in condensed this week, make the corner, make the boundary corner tackle us five times in space. Let's run it on the corner. We want to get it on the corner. Here's how we're going to do it with this sequence. I think just being more specific in your in your game planning and more specific in, with your players about why we're doing this. Why are we running this sequence? Why are we finishing with a shot after two runs? Why are we finishing with a screen in, in the red zone? You know, if, I think the players need to understand why and what you're trying to accomplish is, is huge. Coach, and wrapping things up here, looking at a couple things. One, you mentioned to me before we got going that you view it as every day as an interview. The one thing you can be sure of in this profession is there's going to be change. Some that's planned, some is out of your control, but there'll be change. There'll be different people you're involved in, and if you're treating it that way, uh, that's going to be the best approach for you to, to grow and develop in the profession. Talk to us about that idea of every day being the interview. Yeah, you know, even with your players, you have no idea, you know, which player. I mean, if you got – maybe I got a quarterback who, who becomes the head coach of the um, Eagles one day, and, you know, if I was unprepared in meetings and, and didn't get this guy where he needed to go, and, you know, the definition of a coach is taking somewhere where he is to where he wants to go to reach his goals. If I didn't do those things, then he shouldn't hire me. I'm a, I didn't do my job. I think every coach on staff, every day is an interview, how you treat people – you never know. You never know what's going to happen in this crazy profession. It's a very close knit fraternity. You talk to people. You got to sell your program every single day. You got to sell your position group every single day. Champion your position group. Champion your area and recruiting. No negative talk about the program. There's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And I think we all know as coaches what that is. It's hard to do that with habits. We habitually have to have to put the things that matter first. And 
all too often, you know, you'll look back and say, man, I had no idea that guy was going to get that job. I wish I'd have done this. I wish I'd have done that. Don't have those regrets. And and I'm not saying chasing the logo is the greatest thing in the world either. You know, sometimes God's got a plan and he wants you in a certain place at a certain time around a certain group of people. If you maximize that opportunity, I think that plan is going to come true for each individual person. I'm a true believer. And if you work hard and you're around the right people, everybody's got a chance to be successful. Coach, when you look at all you do as a coach on or off the field, what's the one thing you'd say that that you do that really gives your players the winning edge? I think most people are either like CEO culture guys, you know, have great relationships with the players, drive a culture home every day, or they're ball guys. I think I do a great job managing both, and I get that feedback from our players. Like I'm, you know, trying to be the brains behind the operation and run the offense and defense and make sure we're good schematically and we have an X's and O's advantage. But also I feel like my relationships with my players and coaches are elite. And, you know, they say don't hire people, your friends, and don't have a relationship outside of work. I disagree with all that. Our coaches know they're going to be held accountable. I've had to let people go before. It's part of it. It's hard. But they understand, like, coach has got my best interest at heart. He's got the program's best interest at heart. And I think our players feel the same way. I have a relationship with every single person on our team. They know my office is open. I love talking to them. I love getting to know them. But also at the same time, I can coach football. Like uh, X's and O's are an advantage for me. I love that part of the game. I love that chess match between the coordinators and and the execution. And I think that's why I'm going to have a chance to continue to be successful here is being able to manage those relationships. Because at the end of the day, you're managing 115 egos in one room maybe more 130 with staff and and players getting everybody on the same page and organized, giving them something to buy into, but at the same time, not letting the X's and O's slip. Like you still have to be creative. You still got to call a great game. You still got to game manage. You still got to clock manage. Like that stuff's got to come be precedent in in the program as well. And I think being able to manage both has been a great advantage for, for our staff. Coach, certainly appreciate all you shared with us here today. If our listeners want to learn more what's the best way to connect with you yeah my email twitter i've coached trey lambs my twitter account they can follow me i can dm me whatever whatever works there my email is tlam at gardner-web.edu i'll return any emails give you any information anything i got from a head coach perspective as far as situational football or staff responsibilities or game plan overview creating a plan plan to win for the team goals anything calendar Whatever people want, I, I promise you I'm, I'm willing to help. It's a small community, and I didn't get here on my own. I had a lot of people help me, and, and I'm so thankful for that. And I, I'd love to, to be a, a mentor to someone else, and I have my mentors I talk to. And This profession is too hard to go try to do it on your own. you got to lean on someone. I lean on people. I've got great mentors that I talk to on a weekly basis. and I don't have all the answers, and I think the day you think you have all the answers is the day you start losing. So hire great people, lean on great people. But again, I I will be a resource if if anybody needs anything from me in the coaching profession. Coach, I really appreciate your time and willingness to share. And best of luck to you and the Bulldogs in 2023. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Coach and Coordinator podcast. Check out all we're doing at coachandcoordinator.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.